Welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Today we're joined by Tim Morfin, the founder and leader of Transforming Lives for Good, an innovative charity that partners with local churches to provide support for children who otherwise would be excluded from the educational system. Well, welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. This week I'm joined by Tim Morfin. Tim is the founder and chief executive of Transforming Lives for Good, a Christian charity that exists because they believe that every child deserves to be loved feel safe and have an education. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Simon. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Where are you today? I am in uh, a very misty, uh, dreary Bradford, West Yorkshire. It's not always like that, but yeah, in January, um, this is where we are. And that's where your office is? Yes, we are. Yeah, very proud to be uh, a Yorkshire-based organisation, but with a ministry to the whole of the UK. Fantastic. And uh, Tim, you you started uh, Transforming Lives for Good. Um, tell us about how TLG uh, started and how you got involved. Yeah, well, I came to university um, here in Bradford in Yorkshire. Never imagined that I would stay, uh, but got, uh, got connected into a, a local church that was just really beginning to reach out to its local community. Uh, we opened a youth club, which is something that so many churches have done over the years. And ours was like any other. We opened the doors and, and a crowd of, of local kids came. But as we got to know them, we just realized that for so many of them, school was a huge challenge. And um, and for many of them, life was was pretty chaotic. So, yeah, just without any kind of big plan or vision for a a kind of national um, children's ministry, we we just began to help one boy called Lewis. Um, I met him when he was 12, and by the time he was 15, he was completely disengaged from school, uh, but we helped him. Um, his mum was really grateful, he was grateful, and the school said, we've got loads more kids like him. How many, how many would you like? And led to another and and here we are we're almost um well it's just 19 years later so yeah it's been a remarkable journey and what was the transformation you saw in lewis and how did you help him how many and how many years ago was that yeah so that was um just before the charity was formed so we're talking now sort of 25 years ago and um, yeah, it's it's remarkable, really, just to think back to a boy who lived in a pretty kind of chaotic uh, family context and really struggled with with the expectations of school, but would connect with us. So local church volunteers giving time and attention um, on a Friday and Saturday night, and he would always be there. And it was really out of that relationship of trust where he would open up to us. And I think then we were able to use that relationship to connect with him and connect him back into, into education. So, yeah, it was, it was remarkable to see him sit his GCSE exams, to see him get a job, but, but also to, um, to stay connected into local church and become part of that kind of wider community of the church so yeah that was that was remarkable wow that's amazing and how's that kind of shaped and impacted the way that uh, tlg has grown over the last 20 odd uh, years and, and and bring us up to date with with what you do now 
So what began very much as that sort of youth centre for um, Lewis and a small group of other uh, young people, um, we uh, registered that as an independent school. So this just kind of single classroom space for 10 young people in a local church. And, and that became school for a group of young people that, that were on the edges of, of education in Yorkshire. But very quickly, we worked out that, you know, all over the country, there are young people um, for a whole variety of reasons um, who find school a difficult place to engage. Some of them don't have support at home. Some of them have additional educational needs. Um, some of them just find that they don't maybe have the support within the system that they need. And so realising that that need is everywhere, we founded uh, TLG, um, the charity Transforming Lives for Good, and then in 2007 began to replicate those small education centres. So we now have 13 of those across the UK. Each one is hosted by a local church. It's a local church-based team supporting those children, but volunteers alongside, supporting young people and supporting families. And then just six years ago, uh, we pioneered early intervention. So that's a program for church volunteers to each spend an hour a week with a child in school. So this is our kind of prevention, if you like. It's how we avoid uh, many, many more kids like Lewis um, disconnecting from school as teenagers. And the way we've done that is to equip local churches of all different shapes and sizes to support local children through a partnership uh, with their local school. And, and we now have uh, well, it's 100 uh, churches across the UK from Inverness in the north um, all the way down to Newquay um, in the southwest, uh, Wales, Northern Ireland, all across England. It, it's a remarkable thing just to see uh, the local church uh, very much being the hope for these children and families. Mm. And what is it that captivated your heart, um, Tim, uh, to try and tackle this problem? Because the problem is huge, isn't it? I mean, I don't know what the stats are in terms of children being excluded from school, but but you guys must know the the the, the size of the challenge that you're up against. What? Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely right. The need is, is huge and sadly it's a problem that continues to grow and so if we look just solely at the issue of school exclusion which I think in some ways is a symptom of deeper issues but certainly there are a third of a million exclusions happening um, every single year in the UK and they affect 210,000 different children and their families and so that's a huge number of children. And I think particularly for younger kids, um, there are 47,000 kids affected by exclusion who are 11 years old and younger. And so primary kids, including those, I think that the stat that I find the hardest to really come to terms with is if you think about kids who are just six years old and younger, um, there are over 6,000 exclusions for six-year-olds and younger. And, and that's the number that, you know, really in some ways is out of control. So 
that stat is growing 30% year on year at, at the minute. So it's a huge need. Families in every community um, affected uh, by this exclusion from school. And, and really, you know, that's despite the great efforts of some fantastic teachers in our schools um, doing a great job day in, day out, up and down the country. There are kids with just huge levels of need. But I think what really kind of gives me passion is, is realising that this point of exclusion is, is a huge opportunity because, again, statistically, kids that are excluded and stay outside of education, um, we know that huge numbers of them um, will disengage from, from productive life. You know, it will impact their future. Uh, one stat that I, I read recently is um, that 88% of young offenders were excluded from school. So these are young people who are involved in the criminal justice system and locked in the secure estate. Actually, you can trace back their story to the point of exclusion. And, and I think, you know, even for children who, for whom school's been a happy place, when life happens, maybe there's a breakdown at home in some way. Maybe mum and dad are no longer living in the same house. And for a child, you know, that just really kind of can, can rock a world. And what I love about our early intervention is that being able to bring uh, a volunteer from the local church into the life of that child for an hour a week, for a whole year, can really be the difference between a child adjusting to changes and the challenges of life and being able to thrive again in school um, or take a downward path that can lead to a, a really bad and difficult future. And I think, you know, our passion always has been the local church. So going back, you know, 20 years, we were local church volunteers. This was how we, you know, really kind of expressed God's love for us through the way that we cared for these children. And I'm so passionate about just, yeah, everything that the local church can be for communities. God's people who know his love and and his grace and are able to bring that to children and families and to do that, to connect with them and journey with them and see those children and families drawn into the wider support of the local church. So, yeah, that is my passion. Yeah, that's incredible. And it comes across in your your voice. And, you know, when you tell us that 88% of young offenders, um, you know, were, were excluded from school, it shows the importance of, of early intervention and the massive difference that can be made in a child's life by intervening in, in the early stages, as young as six, uh, even uh, children getting excluded uh, from school. So a wonderful work that you're doing, um, Tim. I had the privilege uh, recently of attending one of your events and hearing uh, the stories of some of the children's lives who'd been impacted and it was deeply moving. Is there a, a story you have um, more recently than Lewis of, of a child that's maybe impacted through uh, your um, early intervention program? Uh, help our listeners get an idea of the kind of transformation that takes place by this coaching once a week for an hour through local church volunteers. Yeah, so I think of a boy called Luke um, who 
who was just six years old and was actually in his second primary school because he'd already been um, excluded and moved from one school. And the point at which uh, the, it was a Salvation Army Church and a volunteer called, called James, and the point at which that coach was introduced to, to the school to say, hey, we've got this program from TLG, can we serve you as a school? Are there any children that we could get alongside and help? You know, this boy, Luke, his mum had already been told that if things don't change or improve, the school will have no option but to exclude him again from from this new school. Things had got so bad that the school had marked out an area in the playground with some cones, and that was the area for Luke to play in on his own. Things were so desperate there for him and for the school teachers not really knowing how to help him. But, yeah, we're so grateful for the simple act of serving with one hour a week. And it it just gave the opportunity for James to build relationship with Luke to help him. I think, you know, firstly, see that he's not on his own, that there are people that really care for him, um, helping him think about those that are with him and for him but also helping him to to handle the stress that he had in his life and just learn how to regulate that, how to express some of his anger in a, in a constructive way. And what was fantastic was just to see the way um, in which just small changes um, for Luke really, I think, made a huge difference. As, as teachers could see, actually, he was he was making some good choices and they were able to support him. But it really was over the course of a year. And the great thing about early intervention is that it's not just about the child. So, so it's possible to see Luke um, adapting and feeling happier about school, but also the connection to his mum and his mum being connected into that local Salvation Army church meant that she was able to be supported and be part of community. And again, not feel isolated and like she was kind of just facing this stuff on her own. So, yeah, it's remarkable just to see the difference that one volunteer just giving an hour a week uh, for a whole year can can make. Wow. That's I'm just so inspired by that that story. And and what kind of support and, and training do you give to the volunteers to enable them to make those kinds of interventions with the children? Yeah, so it's simply a team from a local church who will volunteer to be trained. And we're looking for uh, typically five volunteer coaches and for one of those to be the, the, the connection person, the kind of coordinator for that team. And we'll give some additional um, training to the coordinator. But for coaches, it's a one day training. And we bring that training all over the country. Um, For seven years now, we've been training teams. um, And and so we have hundreds, well over a thousand coaches uh, trained and serving children and families across the UK. And yeah, we've been able to make something, I think, really that is very doable just you know for every one of us most of us could find an hour an hour in a week and and if we can then we just want to make it as easy as possible for yeah the difference to be brought to a child 
Wow. Now, if people want to get involved in serving alongside you and volunteers or churches are listening, where do they go to look for help? Yeah, so very simply, it's um, tlg.org.uk. That's our website, tlg.org.uk. Um, information's there about all of our programs and contact information. So, yeah, we are, we're ready and waiting to uh, receive any inquiries. Brilliant. Now, I'm fascinated because you've obviously grown up with this organisation over 25 years from, you know, its early start of yourself in a youth group in Yorkshire with uh, a few other volunteers to the size of organisation that it is now. And maybe you can tell us how many staff and volunteers you have. But I'm really interested about... um, you know, when did you first become aware that you were a leader? Really? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and what's that leadership journey been like for you uh, growing with the organization over uh, that time period? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I probably realized that I was a leader um, as a teenager. And so, you know, I, I think back to the church youth group that I had the privilege of, of being part of. And I guess, you know, the frustration that I was feeling around the way that that group was working and, and areas where it where it wasn't working. So, you know, I, I think it's been said many times that this sort of fine line that exists between sort of frustration and vision for leaders. And I definitely look back through my life, back to being a teenager and onwards, and I can identify points of frustration with you know thinking back then it it was about the way that as as a group we were not really very cohesive we had some teenagers from different backgrounds and and we were not really kind of connecting together and what we were provide what was being provided i think you know is probably a typical grumpy teenager you know suggesting that everything could be better (laughs) and everything was rubbish whereas in actual fact a lot of it was great but but there was opportunity for it to be better. Yeah. And, and what, was, what was so good is that the leaders of that, of that group were, well, patient enough to, to listen to my, my grumble, but, but also courageous enough to say to a sort of 14, 15-year-old, well, why don't you have a go, you know, at kind of getting a group of your friends together to see if you can, you know, make some plans of what we might do. And, and that's what we did. And that was really the first time I can look back and see that I led something. And, and I guess, yeah, as I came to university, got involved in local church in Bradford, I similarly, yeah, had some, had some frustrations, but again, had empowering leaders around me who were willing to say, no, have a go. And, and, and you know, faith, spell R-I-S-K, of, of saying, yeah, okay, you know, we'll let the, the young upstart have a crack at this. And, and, and I made some massive, massive mistakes, continue to make mistakes, but I'm so grateful for those around me who have just created that, that space for leadership to grow. Mm, fantastic. And who's, who's had the greatest impact on your leadership and the way that you lead? Well, again, I guess I would look back to to growing up in in local church and and my dad um was the the sort of pioneer of of a of a new church congregation to uh, a housing estate on on the fringes of Hull over in East Yorkshire which is my, my kind of home city 
And yeah, I remember from just being a young child, just being alongside, seeing my dad serving, often serving in obscurity um, with really mundane things and, and serving with people, just kind of getting alongside, encouraging others, uh, releasing others. And he, yeah, I guess just brought that very much to me, brought encouragement to me, but, but brought opportunity. And then as I came to Bradford, I guess, um, I guess what really I would now look back and see as sort of fathers in the faith in, in many ways, in terms of just those who similarly saw leadership, saw something in me and were willing to be so patient in listening to me often grumbling, but but being with, there's a theme here, the, the kind of grumbles of, of, a, of, of, a, of an angsty teenager and then, and then a young leader in their 20s. But, I, you know, so, so I, I think of, of an amazing guy called Philip Haig, who, when I met him, was sort of in his early 50s. And he was a leader in this church, but he was so passionate that the church would change, that it would be outward looking, that it would serve the community. And then the church leader called uh, Peter Vincent. Um, we, we called him PV for short, so Pastor PV. And, you know, he, he again was just, um, he would have been in his 40s when I met him. Um, but he, yeah, he, he, he mentored me, believed in me, and, and, and very much kind of showed me what it was to, to have faith, and to really believe God, but also to have a heart to serve and to, yeah, have a have that I guess that outward look to others and to to the impact that that God could have. There is a fascinating theme coming through from what you're saying, isn't it? In terms of a sense of that grumbling and resentment and 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 seeing the problems, um, which could so easily have been turned into angst from you or disconnection um actually with people around you who gave you the opportunity to lead became um, massive opportunities for you to step up and lead what would your advice be for teenagers and students and uh, millennials who are kind of setting out on their leadership journey and are maybe frustrated by the situations they find themselves in and hold resentment to um, the churches that they're in or the organizations that they're in what would your advice be to them from what you've learned yeah it's a really it's a really key question isn't it and um Certainly in my, in my role now leading TLG, a big part of what I'm doing is, is really raising up the next generation of leaders. I think, you know, in these situations, and, and it's true still now, where, where I feel that frustration, I think first and foremost, it's about keeping the heart right and, and recognise, particularly where it's between generations, it, it's really not personal and... And it's and where even where it is personal, it's having a heart that is for God and a heart that's full of grace and love and understanding for one another. And so I think it's having that heart to forgive and to be gracious. I think I would also say it's a, a kind of lifetime of impact as a leader. I know that I was in such a hurry to see things happening right away. And in reality, things do take time. So having a willingness to 
to to run the course, to kind of get up and go again and to keep pressing on and pressing through. And particularly as younger leaders, um, our timeline can be very, very short. So one of the brilliant quotes that, that, I, that I love is that we generally, um, as people, as leaders, we will overestimate what we can achieve uh, within a year, um, but underestimate what we can achieve in 10 years. I smiled when I heard that one of our sort of intern graduates, um, someone who'd just been kind of given a permanent role in TLG, he was effectively, you know, a kind of couple of months in. And, and he said to his manager that he was going to commit to the TLG vision for the long term. And, and, and so he, he wouldn't be looking for any other opportunities anywhere else for, for at least a year. And, and that was just, a, it was a beautiful, beautiful insight to what the long term is when you're 22. And I'm not critical of that at all. You know, I think when everything is possible, then that is just a wonderful place to be. But I think the realization of it is actually where we spend 10 years that is going to be where the impact is. And so, you know, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, for, for the long term kind of sense that I think God has put in me. That's brilliant. Now, um, there'll be many people out there who are um, listening who have an idea about starting up a charity or making a difference and turning around the situation that they they, they see or they feel is in, un, unjust. What do you wish that people had told you 25 years ago <laughs> that you now know <laughs> um, uh, and would be advice to give someone who's starting to think, thinking of starting up their own charity? The reality is it, it's things that maybe I had an inkling of, but, I, but with that 20 years experience just are so, so powerful in terms of life lessons and, and leadership lessons. So, you know, I've probably got to begin with the cliche that it is all about the people. And that is so well-worn and oversaid. But, you know, 20 years in, I still utterly, utterly believe that success in leadership, in whatever sphere we are in, in, in business, in church, um, in our friendship groups, you know, it, it's all about the people and, and in an organization, it's about how we um, attract, how we draw in the right people, those that have the heart that really fits with the vision. And I think in the early days, you know, it is very much as I've described, finding people who will be the champions of the cause. So I had the fortunate position of being able to recruit to the team. Um, relatively quickly. So, you know, three years in, uh, we had a staff team of three people. And then five years in, we had a staff team of 16. And so, you know, by then we had some momentum. We were able to write job descriptions and start to look for people that fitted the roles. But many, many leaders are often pioneering something solo in the beginning but it's still all about the people. So it's about the people outside of the organization who will champion and support and encourage. And I think, you know, we found growing leaders, really investing in leadership development. It just happens that um, this morning, um, 
before our, our conversation, I've had an hour of, of mentoring one of our of our emerging leaders, someone who is four years in to his DLG career. Um, he's just about to relocate from Yorkshire to London, and and I'm so excited that you know he's taking up a new role for us in the south. Um, but just the, the privilege of investing in him. And I guess the, the other thing is in our context in terms of faith, just how kind of central faith is um, and needs to be if we're going to be building organizations that are missional and fulfilling the purpose God has. And I think, you know, I, I would always have said that I understood that, but I think I've just seen how central these things need to be. Mm. And it's incredible how um, those central things that sound like cliches are things which leaders just have to keep repeating and repeating and repeating um, because they are so important, aren't they? Finding people who have a heart for the vision, who understand the faith motivations of what you're about and investing in people um, are just so core and central to yeah. to everything we do. Yeah. Hey, Tim, uh, what, what, as we come to an end now, what are you most excited about uh, in terms of the future for... Um, TLG? Well, it, it is an incredibly exciting year as in, in 2018. Um, I think, you know, significantly we're excited about getting the word out um, on, on who TLG are and the opportunity that the TLG programs are for the local church. I think, you know, we continue to be a name that not everyone has heard of, but I think in that respect, there's a huge opportunity there. And the great thing is, as churches hear about who we are and, and how they can get involved, then we're just seeing incredible growth. So we've just kind of closed off our, our numbers for 2017. And, you know, we had uh, almost a church a week signing up to become early intervention partners for the whole of 2017. It's incredible. 49 brand new churches joining the vision to be trained and and now being sort of equipped for helping kids in in 2018 so that's incredibly exciting as people hear about who we are and and the word spreads and then particularly significant we we've not yet gone uh, large on all of our comms with this that's going to happen in the spring uh, but we're so excited to be able to add a brand new program to to, to TLG so a program called make lunch uh, this is a fantastic small charity that enables churches to respond to the, the real tragedy of holiday hunger for kids who are on free school meals in term time, but don't have access to a hot meal in the holidays. And, and Make Lunch um, is a small charity that's enabled churches to be equipped to provide that food. And so... As of the beginning of January, Make Lunch is fully a part of TLG. And so we now have three programs for churches to reach and to serve struggling children and families in their community. So an incredibly exciting year ahead and uh, one that we're so looking forward to. Oh, we really appreciate you taking the time, Tim, to join us on the podcast today and fascinating to hear about your journey. And I'm sure many people have just been inspired by the kind of transformation that you're seeing in the lives of children like Lewis and, and Luke and many, many more up and down the UK in partnership with local churches. So uh, we uh, wish you all the best in what you're doing. And, and I'm sure many people want to pray for you in what you're doing. How, how can people pray specifically uh, for TLG uh, this year? Well, I think in addition to the things that I've shared, I would say that um, because we are 
really keen to see this vision grow. We've got big plans. And so the challenge of funding the vision um, is really, really huge. We've got a, the biggest funding gap we've ever had for 2018. Um, that's not that we're reckless in our planning. It's just that we're ambitious because the need that we're meeting for those third of a million um, children experiencing exclusion, um, the need is huge. And so, yeah, it's really, yeah, we're believing that God is going to work miraculously in providing. So join us, please, in, in praying to that end. That would be fantastic. Brilliant. Tim Morfin, uh, founder and uh, director of Transforming Life So Good. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn or SoundCloud. And whilst you're there, please rate and comment on the podcast. Have a great week.